This is Nick Redding, and you're listening to PreserveCast, a podcast with a worldwide listenership that explores the broad world of preservation from every angle, from drones to mudlarking and everything in between. Now, let's get preserving. There are many ways to be a historian, and on this week's PreserveCast, we're exploring the world of historians for hire, contract historians who do work to help organizations, corporations, agencies, and law firms dig deep into history when the stakes are high, a story we knew we had to bring to PreserveCast. This is Nick Redding, and you're listening to PreserveCast. Today, we're excited to be joined by Scott Virick, who is a historian at History Associates. And we're going to be talking about the world of contract and corporate and uh, history um, uh, for profit and how that works and how firms um, do this work to support a wide range of history um, and all the different implications of that. Um, but before we get started, I want to remind uh, PreserveCast listeners, if you haven't already, jump on to wherever you download your podcast and be sure to give us a five-star uh, rating and give us a review if you can as well and let your friends know uh, that you listen to PreserveCast. So, Scott, um, it's it's fun to have you here. We actually haven't had someone um, who works in your line of history um, so far on the podcast, and we're going to talk about what that means, sort of historian for hire. Um, but uh, let's talk a little bit about you first. Where'd you grow up, and what led you down this path? And maybe then we'll we'll follow up with your first job in the field. But but when did you kind of catch this history bug? Sure, absolutely. Thank you, Nick. It's great to be on the podcast today. I'm originally from just outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So I grew up surrounded by history. I was a short trip away from the Liberty Bell, Independence Hall, Valley Forge. Uh, a mile away from my house was actually a street that the Continental Army marched down before the Battle of Germantown. So I got the history bug pretty young. Uh, favorite subject in school. I went to college at William and Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. So another place where you're just surrounded by history, but I never really considered history as being kind of a viable career path for me until I did an internship with the national park service at Harper's Ferry national historical park in West Virginia, the summer after my junior year of college. And just the experience of being there, interacting with the public, getting to talk about history, uh, getting into the nuances and the complexities of the events that happened at the site, and having people listen to me and asking questions was just a really, it's hard to describe just the impact it had on me and kind of the realization that, yeah, I could have a career in this. I could, you know, make this my career being a in the history field, being a historian. And so when I graduated, I did a couple of part-time jobs in the history field. I, got, I came back to Harper's Ferry as a seasonal ranger. I worked for the White House Historical Association as an educator, so helping out with uh, programs for schools. And then I was also a tour guide at Mount Vernon. And then after about a year of doing that, I was hired at History Associates. And shortly before I, I applied, if you had asked me uh, what a history consulting firm was, I would have had no idea. But I've been here for almost six years now, and I've had the pleasure and the honor of working on many different projects for many wonderful clients and been able to uh, just really engage with the process of 
doing research, sharing that research with the public, and helping people build connections with history, with these sites, and understanding why they're important. So did you go to school for history? Was that what you majored in at William & Mary? Yeah, my major was in history and government. So I did a double major, and before Harper's Ferry, I was kind of thinking that I'd end up using the government part of my degree a bit more than the history part. So um, talk to us about history associates. Uh, well, maybe we'll take a step back. What is a, what is sort of a historian for hire? And then we'll talk about the firm. But, you know, uh, who, who is hiring your type of historian? Who, who what's the what's the the clientele that engages in this sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, the clientele is huge. So obviously we get hired by museums and historic sites to help them create exhibits, to do interpretive planning, help them figure out how to best reach their audiences. We get hired by a number of government agencies, corporations, and nonprofits to do uh, company histories, which can be in the form of books. It can be digital exhibits or timelines. Uh, We also get hired by a lot of those same clients to do oral histories, conducting interviews with long-time employees, long-time volunteers, making sure that that institutional memory and those those stories are captured and preserved. Uh, We get hired by a number of law firms to conduct research relating to litigation. Uh, We have a lot of experience doing research at repositories ranging from the National Archives and the Library of Congress to much smaller repositories that maybe aren't as well organized. And so we often get hired by law firms to do that research and provide expertise on what the historical record suggests. And then we also have a very thriving archival service, which again, we can get, we've been hired by government agencies, members of Congress, uh, corporations, nonprofits to go organize their documents, make sure that there's a plan for future acquisitions and get those documents ready to be used by historians like me or members of the organization itself, just making things more accessible. So we've worked with a wide variety of clients throughout the United States and around the globe. Um, So it's really, it's much more diverse than it might initially seem in terms of who's hiring us and for what work uh, are we doing for them. So History Associates, that's the firm that you work at. Where is it based out of? What's the scale of this kind of thing? Because I think a lot of people think, well, historian for hire, it's like two people in a little room or something like that. And, and they're trying to string together these projects. But this is a pretty big operation. It's been around for quite some time. Where is it located? What's the scale? Give people a sense for this, the size of these kinds of firms. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you're absolutely right that a consulting historian can just be one or two people uh acting as independent contractors, but History Associates, we uh, we go back to, uh, we were founded in 1981, and we're currently based in Rockville, Maryland, um, but we have staff members in multiple locations throughout the United States, and our current uh, employee, uh, number of employees is around uh, 40 or so people, and then we also have a number of independent contractors that we work with uh, on certain projects. So definitely a good amount of people. And that includes archivists, historians, uh, folks who are dedicated researchers, interpretive planners. So uh, again, it's it's much more than two people in a room. The scope that you work on, do people within the firm, do generally contract historians 
sort of focus in on one area or is any given day or any given project kind of all over the place? Like what, do you specialize in an area or how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. So the vast majority of our employees, they come to history associates with some type of specialization, whether that's a time period of interest and expertise in a type of uh, history related activity, whether that's archival services, oral histories, uh, et cetera. Um, and then, but in terms of the type of work you do, typically the archivists are going to do mostly archival projects. The historians are going to mostly do projects relating to history. So whether that's litigation work, uh, research, corporate histories, museums, interpretive planning. And when I first got hired, I kind of did a little bit of everything. So I was doing corporate histories. I was doing museum work, interpretive planning. I was doing litigation research. And then over time, oftentimes we find ourselves getting more specialized. So a lot of what I do now is in relation to interpretive planning, uh, content for either physical or digital museum exhibits. But I still do uh, litigation research now, now and then. Uh, so it really does vary. But overall, I'd say when folks join, the type of tasks they're going to do is a little more varied than what they're going to be doing years down the road when they do become a little more specialized. But History Associates, we've got a very collaborative atmosphere. So you'll see folks pitching in as needed on projects. And flexibility is a really important part, not just of History Associates line of work, but I'd say any uh, consulting historian or historian for hire out there. You got to be flexible. You got to be willing to learn new things and uh, try new strategies and new tasks. So let's talk a little bit about maybe some projects that you worked on that people might find instructive or illustrating or even interesting. Um, so like when it comes to like interpretive planning, what does that sound like? What does that look like? Are there some projects that you can talk to us about that aren't top secret? So interpretive planning is really the process of a site figuring out what stories does it want to tell? What resources does it want to share with the visitor and the community? And figuring out the best way to tell those stories and share those resources. So one of the interpretive plans that we're in the process of finalizing right now is an interpretive plan for the Princeton battlefield in New Jersey. And of course, this was a very critical battle in the American Revolution, part of what's known as the 10 Crucial Days, where the Patriot cause essentially was brought from the brink of defeat at the hands of the British to winning a series of resounding successes that really reinvigorated morale and ensured that the war for American independence would continue. And if you visit Princeton today, uh, the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection runs it. They've got a part-time staff member there who does an incredible job with uh, providing tours and programs, but they're not there all the time. Likewise, the nonprofit uh, Battlefield Society, they also do some great programs, but they're also not there all the time. So if you visit when the site is staffed, you're going to have a wonderful experience. If you visit when it's not staffed, then it's very difficult to learn about the battle and get an idea of where you're standing in relation to what happened there. So a key part of the interpretive planning process for the Princeton Battlefield, which we were commissioned to do that by the American Battlefield Trust, was to figure out how can we best tell the story when the site is not staffed. So that included things like new waysides, new smartphone apps, and we're in the process of refining that vision but a key part of this throughout the entire process, and I would say any interpretive planning project, is collaboration. So right from the get-go, we're having conversations with the staff at the site, 
We're having conversations with the nonprofit partner, the Prince of Battlefield Society. We're reaching out to the local community. We held a public meeting where members of the community could voice their opinions. We distributed an online survey uh, so that members of the community who couldn't make the meeting could offer their feedback, provide additional ideas. We met once we had a better idea of what recommendations we wanted to put forward in the plan. We met with key stakeholders, including nearby historic sites, uh, the mayor of Princeton, and just had these conversations to make sure that what we were essentially pitching in this plan reflected the will and the needs and the desires of the community. So it's very much a collaborative process. We also reached out to providers of various te uh, technologies to make and uh, physical interpretive media to make sure that anything we were included made sense from a cost perspective. And so very much it's uh, interpretive planning is very much the process of collaboration. And that's true on any interpreter project that I've worked on is you're meeting with staff, you're meeting with stakeholders and their input, their ideas are really driving the process. So this might be a good place to take a quick break and then come back and talk about for people who are listening who might be in the market someday, maybe they run an organization or they work at a law firm or something like that, and they're thinking about hiring a contract historian, we'll talk about what they should think about going into that process, and we'll do that right here in PreserveCast. Hey, it's Nick here, and I want to remind you briefly that your support is what makes this podcast possible. To keep hearing important stories like this one, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and follow along on social media at PreserveCast. You can also continue supporting the podcast with a donation at PreserveCast.org. PreserveCast is sponsored by the 1772 Foundation and powered by Preservation Maryland, a nonprofit organization that believes we all succeed when we all know more about our past. This is Nick Redding. You're listening to PreserveCast today. We're excited to be joined by Scott Virick. Um, who is a historian at History Associates. And we've been talking about sort of the world of historians for hire and how that all works. Um, and before we took our break, we talked about some of the projects that he's working on right now, including the Princeton Battlefield Timely as America approaches its 250th anniversary in 2026. Um, but I'm curious, you know, for people listening who are like, okay, that's really cool. It's interesting. I, I'm probably not going to be a contract historian myself, but... I might be in the market to hire one at some point, or I need to hire a consulting historian to help us with a project at, at my organization, whether it be survey and research or interpretive planning, like what you just described, or, or you work at a law firm and you're thinking about hiring someone to do, do research. What are, are there questions that you should be thinking about in your head, like that, that questions that the historian firm or, or historian in general is going to ask that you need to be prepared to answer before you start engaging with someone along these lines? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say one of the biggest questions you need to ask yourself is who is going to be the liaison with the contracting historian? Uh, it goes back to what I said earlier. These projects, they're collaborative. So if you want to get the most out of working with the contracting historian, you're going to want to have open lines of communication. You want to have a point person who will handle requests from the organization, will uh, pass on those requests to the contractor will answer the contractor's questions. So you wanna make sure you've got that system in place to really work together effectively. You also wanna consider what's your budget. Um, so we do a lot of really great work. We do a, uh, projects for various clients. Some have really big budgets, some have very small budgets, but we are a business, we can't work for free. So having an idea of what your budget is, uh, is really helpful in not only determining 
what you want to do, but also what you're going to be able to accomplish with that budget. And that's often something where clients will reach out to us. They have that budget idea, and then we work with that budget to figure out what we can accomplish while laying the groundwork for future work if necessary. So sometimes a client might not have the money for a full interpretive planning project, but we can get with the budget they have, we could maybe do a site survey where a historian comes to the site, tours all the locations, takes a look at the resources, meets with staff, meets with stakeholders, and then we can provide them with the recommendations document that it provides key action items for moving forward and can hopefully build support and be useful for getting funding for larger projects down the road. So definitely having an idea of what your budget's going to be is very valuable. Um, and also just kind of having an understanding of the historical process. Sometimes we find stuff that we're not necessarily expecting. Sometimes that can be good. Sometimes that can be bad. Uh, we're historians. So we believe in truth. We believe in being inclusive. Um, so sometimes organizations, you know, their understanding of their past is bright and sunny. Odds are, if we're going into the archives, we're going to find stuff that's complicated. We're going to find stuff that makes that story a little more complex, maybe doesn't always reflect well on an organization or an institution's history. Now, we work with clients to help them tell that story in a way that is honest and reflects the data. But sometimes, you know, that can be a bit of a jump for a client who is expecting, you know, this bright, happy, triumphant story. Uh, and the reality of what we find in the course of the research is a bit more complicated. So going in with that understanding is very valuable. Are there misconceptions or things that people often get wrong when they start a project with uh, a historian firm like this or a history associates or things that you commonly see that you would kind of give people a heads up on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I would say one of the biggest misconceptions is that we're going to do the research, we're going to do a first draft, and then we're going to be done. And the vast majority of the time, that's not the case. Because um, prior to that point, the project only exists in everyone's heads. So everyone has their own vision of what it's going to look like. Once it's actually down on paper, and people can look at it, then new opinions are going to come up, people are going to start thinking about other sources that maybe want to be included. So it's definitely going to be a more engaged process, there's going to be discussions about the content, uh, whether that's a book that's going to be 200 pages, or it's a museum exhibit where we're limited to 150 words per panel. There's going to be that discussions. Uh, only in very rare instances do we submit the first draft and everyone is 100% happy. And we're aware of that. That's why we work multiple drafts into all of our projects. Uh, but sometimes that can take the client a little bit of back but a bit of back that the vision they had in their head might not necessarily be what's on the page in front of them, but that's okay. We've got the multiple drafts to work with the client to make sure that that vision becomes a reality. So outside of history associates and your, your work, do you, do you take like busman's holidays? Are you working on a, uh, any, any type of research on your own, looking to publish anything? What's next for, for you outside of your contractual work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I remain a big reader of history. I'm currently, I'm a volunteer uh, contributor to the George Washington Digital Encyclopedia at Mount Vernon. So I've got an entry 
um, that I'm not allowed to say just yet, but I am working on that. Um, so that's been a lot of fun to delve into those uh, topics as well. So I'm kind of doing that on the side. Um, I also just recently wrapped up my master's degree in public administration at Virginia Tech. So that was kind of my when I'm not at work thing for a while. But now that that's done, definitely, um, you know, looking forward to doing more things outside of more writing, uh, more research relating to my own personal interests. Um, and, you know, seeing what comes along. I live in Alexandria. There's a lot of really great nearby history nearby history there. Um, I do still also uh, give uh, tours on weekends at Mount Vernon every so often. Um, so that's a lot of fun to be actually at a site, interacting with the public and giving tours. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's good to, to remember what what brought you to, to all of this and, and keep that passion in the field. So speaking of personal interests, before we go, um, what's your favorite historic place or site? Hmm. I mean, that's that's a really good question, and I knew it was coming, and I was struggling with the answer. I'm going to kind of cheat, and I'm going to go back to one of my projects. We did a smartphone tour of some of, for the American Battlefield Trust, a smartphone app for some of the Civil War battlefields around Richmond and Civil War Richmond itself. And what I love about those sites is together, they really show the variety you can have when it comes to historic sites and museums, but also reflecting the importance of interpretation itself. So there are stops on uh, the smartphone app tour where you're going to places like Malvern Hill, which has been, for the most part, beautifully preserved. You go there, you get a really good sense of what the soldiers were looking at in 1862. You go to another location, Belle Isle in Richmond on the James River during the Civil War, it was a prison camp for Union POWs. And by all accounts, it was a living hell on earth. Soldiers were getting sick. Soldiers were dying. There weren't enough, there weren't enough uh, supplies. There, weren't, there wasn't enough shelter. You go there today, it's a place of community. People are going there, walking the trails. They're going out onto the river. They're meeting friends. It's a place of real joy and happiness. So you've got two sites of historic importance, very different levels of preservation. But what unites them, though, is good interpretation. You go to Malvern Hill, you can get an idea of what you're looking at. You can get an idea of what the soldiers are going through. And that's and you can really walk away getting a better understanding of what the soldiers were dealing with during the campaign. You go to Belle Isle, there's also interpretation there. There's waysides. There's a smartphone app there. So you go there, you read about the suffering, you read about the death. And then you see the joy around you. So you walk away with just an understanding of how a place that can at one point be a site of such pain and misery can eventually become a place of happiness and laughter and community. But you only get that if you have the information. You only get that when you have the interpretation. Likewise, Malvern Hill, if the interpretation's not there, you don't have an idea of what you're looking at. You don't have an idea of why it matters. So... Those sites on that app really just highlight to me why interpretation is valuable in that it connects people with the past. It connects people with why these sites, why these places, why the people who were there, why they matter, why they're relevant. So between the two of them, it's just it's a very powerful experience being at these sites that were included as part of this app. And it's it's something that uh, has just really stayed with me, especially Belle Isle, just being there and seeing 
as I said before, the place where you could have so much misery. Now it's a place of community and it's a place of happiness. So it's, it's one of those things that has just always stayed with me. Well, I think that's a perfect answer and ties it all together. And we'll have to put a link um, to the download for um, that app in the show notes. Scott, it's been a pleasure to have you with us here today. Looking forward to seeing what you work on next. Likewise. Thank you so much, Nick. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to PreserveCast. To dig deeper into this episode's story, head over to PreserveCast.org for show notes and our collection of previous episodes. Don't forget to engage with this podcast by subscribing, commenting, and leaving a review. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PreserveCast for even more. PreserveCast is currently recorded in Walkersville, Maryland, and sponsored by the 1772 Foundation and powered by Preservation Maryland. Thanks for listening and keep on preserving.